Well, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Kim likes me. Um, welcome to City Point Church. I'm excited to be before you guys this morning. Uh, we are continuing our series on the book of Luke. And I've been excited about this series. Uh, it's a seven-part series. I'm a little bit bummed that we're already on part four. So that means we only have three more uh, sermons about it. But what's about to start this Thursday on December 1st is our 24 days, 24 chapters of the book. Judah said when he was learning English when he was little, like when he was in English class, he was like, it doesn't make sense that it's not book <laughs> because it's two O's and two O's say ooh. So anyways, but uh, um, join us December 1st every day, a chapter a day leading up to Christmas Day. And you can, last year we made some YouTube videos that kind of basically each day broke down each chapter into a little bit of a study. And we'll be posting those again on our Facebook and YouTube this year. So make sure that you grab those. Remember, they are from last year. So when we start complaining about having the flu in one of the videos, don't be concerned, okay? I hope we don't have it again. So I'm going to recap Jason's message last week a little bit because it didn't record. Um, and sometimes, you know, we have people that listen online um, sometimes that aren't from, you know, around here or maybe they missed. And so I just wanted to recap it a little bit. But basically the premises was it was based on the idea that Jesus or Yeshua, which was his Hebrew name, uh, saves you not only from sins, but he saves you from yourself. And so there's a lot more that the Lord throughout your life is saving you from than just, you know, eternity or salvation. Um, Yeshua actually means salvation. And he had the premise around the story of Zacchaeus. And a lot of people, they like to focus on the fact that Zacchaeus was a short man and he did what he had to do to see Jesus. But what Jason focused on, on the most was a little bit different and was so great is that one Zacchaeus was a Jew and all Jews in this day grew up learning the scriptures okay they grew up knowing the Torah more memorizing it all the laws that God have given they knew and so what made him such a horrible person is because he was a chief tax collector. And the scripture says that he was very wealthy because of it. And what that means is the Romans got him to collect taxes from his people. So that's already like a, I hate you. But then he began to do a little bit of greedy things. And he began to charge extra so that he could line his pockets with the extra money that he was extorting from his people. So he was a thief, okay? Like all tax, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, anyways. <laughs> all right, all right. Anyways, what happens though is there's this encounter with Jesus and Zacchaeus at his house. Zacchaeus says, if I've cheated anyone, then I'm going to give them back their money. And then I'm only, not only am I going to give it back, but I'm going to give back four times more than what I've stole. And, um, and he begins to say this. And randomly, right after that, Jesus says, salvation has come to your home. And I always thought, well, it was just kind of like quick, you know, like salvation's come to your home. Like it kind of always didn't make sense to me. But it does make sense if you realize that in Leviticus 6, the law, if you were 
if you had stolen something or extorted for people, the law was if you are guilty, the way that you repent for that is that you give back to them what you took from them. And not only do you give back to them what you took, you pay back 20% of it. And then it says, then, a, then you get a ram of spotless, you take it to the high priest, you sacrifice, and the high priest will forgive you of your sins. And so what's so crazy is at this point is you begin to see Zacchaeus's repentive heart. It wasn't just random that he was saying that. He was quoting scripture. He was saying, I'm guilty of this, and I'm repentive of this, and I want to be made right. And the cool thing is, is he did what the law said, but he didn't need the spotless ram because Jesus was there, and he didn't need the high priest because Jesus was also there. And the high priest forgave him his sins. And we just realized that a lot of times he came around that Jesus saves us from so much more. And so that was his message. Now I can start mine. All right, so <laughs> today we're going to talk about doubting. I don't know if you guys ever doubt your faith or doubt yourself or doubt maybe how God feels about you or anything like that, but sometimes doubt can come in our minds. Now, when I was growing up and I was in school, making good grades was very important to me, all right? It was, all right? I wanted to appear smart. I wanted good grades. It made me feel good. Probably the reason why I strive so hard to have good grades in high school is because in elementary school, my mom had both a reward system and a punishment system for grades, okay? The reward system is if you get all A's and B's, you get a Ferris Bueller's Day Off where you get to skip school and go do something fun. So we have that with our kids. But if you did not get good grades, you get grounded from something. Now, when my brother would get bad grades, he got grounded from everything, okay? Because he was hard to punish. But when I was in the third grade, one time in my life, I got a D on my report card in spelling. I'm still terrible at spelling, okay? It was hard, okay? But I got a D on the report card. My mom grounded me from Saved by the Bell for six weeks, and I thought I was going to die. I literally almost died. It was the worst. And my brother's like, this is sad. This is all you punished her from? My mom's like, it's going to kill her. And it did. I never got anything below a B on my report card again. So this system really prepared me to really strive for good grades. Now, in school, out of the four core things that you learn, there's four subjects that are your core, right? English, science, math, social studies. I love social studies. I love math, okay? I get it. I enjoy it. I don't understand when people don't get it. I love it. Science, eh. English, okay. You know, English is all right. But see, there's two parts of English. There's the, the joy of writing and making stories and reading stories. And, oh, man, that's amazing. But English has this dark side, this terrible side, this thing that I just want to smack across the face. And it's called grammar. Anybody with me? All the teenagers on the back row, they're feeling all the teenagers are like, amen. We have never been with you more, Pastor. We, we feel you, okay? Grammar is terrible, okay? And here's something that teachers tell you, all right, especially when it comes to, like, commas, all right? They're like, when in doubt, leave it out, okay? That is the statement. Any teenagers heard that before? Maybe they stopped saying it, but they say, when in doubt, leave it out, right? And so, do not put that up there yet. Sorry, that's, <laughs> hadn't got to that yet, all right? <laughs> Getting to my key thought. Anyways, when in doubt, leave it out. All right, so, my senior year, it comes research paper time, all right? 
And I worked so hard on this research paper. I mean, I was in the library. I had books. I got on the internet. I had all my sites. Oh, man, when I was writing, I was like, this is so good. This story's so good. Yeah, this is so good. This is amazing. This research paper cost a very big percent of my grade, okay? I put a lot of effort into this thing. And as I'm writing it, I'm going, when in doubt, Tiffany, leave it out. You know, and I'm like, eh, should one go there? Well, I'm doubting, so I'm going to leave that out, right? And so I go through. I turn it in. I'm so proud of my work. And when I get my grade back, it says 50. That's an F. F means failure, okay? That is not a good grade. And I was so, I mean, I almost started crying in class. I was like, oh, God, I got an F. It says 50 F. And I'm like, what? It's going on. I did so great on this. It was so wonderful. And I look at it, and in the story and in the research and the siding, I got 100%. 100%. But then the other side on grammar, I got a zero. I got a zero. And there was red marks all through my paper because guess what? When in doubt, leaving it out doesn't work, okay? I still got a zero. So we're going to talk today, when in doubt, put it on up there, the key thought, when in doubt, Figure it out, okay? Figure it out. And today we're going to talk about someone that Luke talked about so great, which is a great man, which is John. We know him as John the Baptist, okay? John, we got to meet John when Jason preached on his miraculous birth. His dad was a Levi. His mom was uh, from the tribe of Levi. His dad was a priest. And so that was kind of like his family thing, okay? And so John is born, and then Luke opens up chapter 3 with a little bit of history, okay? We talked about how he's a historian with a little bit of history of what the political power and the religious power is going on there. You know, he kind of gives you a little what's happening. And so the fact that he mentions that there's two high priests, okay, in their religious sect means that not only was the government in shambles, okay, the religious sect was in shambles as well. And there was fighting and there was division and, and, uh, and a bunch of stuff was happening. So although these religious people looked great in the sight of the world, they looked wicked in the sight of God. And so John did not take on the family business as a Levi, as a priest. He actually became a prophet. All right? And so when God wanted to speak to the people... He bypassed the palaces, he bypassed the temple, and he went straight to the old, old prophet in the wilderness. And this was his mission in chapter 1. This is what the angel said to his dad. Here is his mission. He will turn many of the children of Israel around to follow the path to the Lord their God. Do you remember the prophecy about someone to come in the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah? In other words, he's not going to be a priest like you, Dad. All right? He's coming with the spirit of a prophet. Someone who will turn the hearts of their parents back to their children. Someone who will turn the hearts of the disobedient to the mindset of the just and good. Your son is the one who will fulfill this prophecy. He will be the Lord's forerunner. He is the one who prepare the people and make them ready for God. All right, so he's, he's going to be a little bit more, Dad. He's not going to follow in your footsteps. That's okay. Hey, y'all didn't even name him a family name, all right? He's going to be different because when I speak, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk to the priest. 
And I'm not going to go through the palace because they're all corrupt. I'm going to go to him in the wilderness, and I'm going to speak to the people. He's going to be the forerunner for the Lord, and he's going to prepare people for what God has for them. And as he, he fulfilled the words in the prophet Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 43, this is talking about John as a prophecy. It says, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert a highway for our God. So here's John's message. Here's the premises of his message in the wilderness. One, God isn't interested in routine religion. All right? He wants life change. So this begins to rock people's world, okay, because they were used to their laws and their religion. And John's out here being bold, going, hey, God's not interested in all of that. He doesn't even care. What he cares about is life change. And you know what else he cares about is bearing good fruit. And he says, he looks at, as he's preaching, he looks at the religious people and he says, it's not good enough to say that you're sons of Abraham. Hey, God can make these rocks sons of Abraham. Who cares about that? Who cares about your lineage? Who cares about where you come from? What God cares about is your heart. And so he begins to be so bold. And then he begins to baptize people as a symbol of this life change, right? Which is where we get our water baptism, right? That's our symbol. You go under the water as a sinful person. You come out as not a sinful person. And many thought, hey, this guy, he's so bold. He has to be the Messiah. Because, I mean, he's talking to the religious people. He's talking to the, to the government. And he's just bold in everything he says. You ever have one of those people that they ain't afraid to say nothing? Like, they just throw everything out there, you know? I'm like, smile and nod, smile and nod. Somebody's saying cra- something crazy that I don't agree with. I just smile and nod and be like, I walk away going, they're crazy, you know? <laughs> Jason's kind of like that. He'll, someone will say something crazy, and he'll be like, I just got to be honest. I don't agree with you, and this is why, <laughs> you know, he has that boldness. But he says, but then John's response to them saying, could you be the Messiah is this. I baptize you with water. But one is coming, one far more powerful than I, one whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Some of the Gospels actually record him going, there he is. And him telling his disciples, follow that man when he sees Jesus. You see that man over there? Follow him. I am like releasing you to him. You need to follow him because he knew that Jesus was a Messiah. Here's the thing about John, though. Uh, His mouth got him in trouble, okay? I've ran my mouth before. I understand we're good. You know, sometimes you just put your foot in your mouth. Anyways, he he ran his mouth. He got a little too bold, and he confronted Herod and ended up getting thrown in prison, right? But before he was thrown in prison, read what Luke says in Luke 3. It says, but before John's imprisonment, When he was still preaching and ritually cleansing through baptism the people in the Jordan River, Jesus also came to him to be baptized. As Jesus prayed, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit came upon him in a physical manifestation that resembled a dove. A voice echoed from heaven, you are my son, the son I love, and in you I I take great pleasure. Okay? So here's the thing. John has experiences. First of all, John and Jesus were cousins, okay? So he grew up with this uh, knowledge of his, of his calling. He says there's a man that is coming that I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals. He tells his disciples to follow after Jesus. 
He also then baptizes Jesus. And because it's recorded in Luke, that means this wasn't something that only Jesus saw or experienced. That means that there was witnesses there that saw the Holy Spirit manifest in the dove and a audible voice that says, this is my son, and in him I take great pleasure. And so he has experienced all of this, okay? He knows that Jesus is the Messiah. But something changes inside of him when he is in prison, okay? At this point, physical distress has turned into mental depression, and John, although he knew Jesus was the Messiah, begins to doubt big time. And maybe he felt like Jesus should have rescued him from prison. Maybe he felt like this guy who's shaking everything up, who is the Messiah, why is he not freeing me from my chains? Why is he not freeing me from this place of stress and physical uh, ab- abuse and mental distortion? Why is he not saving me? And he begins, and his mind begins to tell him, like, it's probably not real. All this kind of stuff. I mean, I can imagine him just in this place and the agony of the mind games that begin to go on inside of his head. And so this great prophet who has been the forerunner for Jesus himself says this in chapter 7. I hope you are following along because I did Luke 1, Luke 3, and Luke 7, all right? We're hitting a bunch of chapters in, in this one. But he says, it says this, The news of Jesus spread across the whole province of Judea and beyond to the surrounding regions. When these reports reached John's disciples, they brought news to John himself. John sent two of his disciples to ask the Lord, are you the promised one? Wait, what? Didn't he already know that? Didn't he already proclaim that? He says, are you the promised one or shall we keep looking for someone else? They came to Jesus and asked their question exactly as directed by John the Baptist. Now listen to this. Listen to what Jesus does, okay? Because he doesn't go, I can't believe that he would dare. Did he not see the dove on my head or wherever the dove manifested? Did he not hear the audible voice? Does he not know the scriptures? Does he not know the prophecies? He didn't come to him going, can I believe that you, you, you Jew don't know theology? You don't know these things? No, this is what Jesus did. I love it. He said, before he answered John's messengers, Jesus cured many from various diseases healed conditions, and evil spirits. He even caused many blind people to regain their sight. And then Jesus to John's disciples says, Go and tell John what you've witnessed with your own eyes and ears. The blind are seeing again. The lame are walking again. uh, The deaf hear again. The dead live again. And good news is preached to the poor. And whoever is not offended by me is blessed indeed. In other words, he said, he doesn't need knowledge right now. He needs an experience right now. And so I can tell him theology, and I can tell him prophecy, or I can get mad that he himself is doubting, or I can just show him. I can show him what I'm doing. I can show him my power and my love and my grace. 
see, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief, okay? Doubt is a matter of the mind. It's kind of like saying, you know, I can't understand what God is doing or why God is doing it. That's, that's a doubt. I can't understand. But unbelief is a matter of the will. We refuse to believe God's worth and obey what he tells us to do. So in John's case, he, it wasn't a matter of willful unbelief. It was just a matter of doubt. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been there where you, you know something so well, but in the back of your mind or maybe mind games come and you just begin to doubt and begin to doubt yourself, you begin to doubt God, you, you begin to doubt scriptures, you begin to doubt pastors, you begin to doubt spiritual people in your life, and you sit there and you're, you waller in this doubt and, and it's not unbelief and then we feel really guilty like, oh my gosh, like I should just have faith and all this kind of stuff, like I'm a terrible person because I don't believe what's well, not unbelief belief. It's not like you're willfully choosing not to believe the Lord. You're just struggling with some doubt in your life, okay? It's a matter of the mind and the mind games. Because here's the thing. There's a difference between knowledge and an experience. Because knowledge, anybody can have the knowledge. I can know God is good. But sometimes I need to experience that God is good. Does that make sense? I know my husband loves me. But sometimes I need to experience his love, right? And so because the thing is, is knowledge can be, it can be the same knowledge but mean different things to different people. For example, the ocean is deep, large, and vast. Okay? We all know that, right? So depending on your perspective determines the interpretation of the knowledge. Okay? For example, first perspective. The ocean is deep, large, and vast. Who knows what kind of things are inside of it? That's amazing. Second perspective. The ocean is deep, large, and vast. Who knows what kind of things are inside of it? That's terrifying. Same knowledge, different perspective. So sometimes in order, Jason said this earlier, we have to take our knowledge but then we have to experience God for it to be revelation in our life, for it to be life change, for it to be something that's more powerful to overcome the doubt in our life. Because we can have the knowledge, but the knowledge is not enough to overcome the doubt unless we have the experience with God himself. Does that make sense? Is that not great? So here's the thing. Key thought again. When in doubt, figure it out. Hey, don't stay there. Don't stay in your doubt, okay? Because if you're an English major, you know it doesn't work for you, okay? To just leave it out and let it go. When in doubt, figure it out. Here are some practical ways, and I'm going to close with this. Are you, are, you, are you doing this? All right. I'm going to close with this. Three points of practical ways of overcoming doubt in your life. Now, it's so crazy because I was talking with my mom about this yesterday um, before we left Alabama. And now my mom is 62 years old. She's going to listen to me. She's probably going to be mad at me for talking about her. But my mom is 62 years old. She's known about the Lord her entire life. She was raised in a Christian home. Um, and she has loved the Lord for decades on decades on decades. She has loved the Lord. She's experienced the Lord. She's served the Lord. She's done all these things for God. 
basically her whole life. And even other day, at 62 years old, she was riding down the road and doubt went into her brain. And she began to say, what if, what if I only believe because this was the religion that was taught to me my whole life? I mean, other people believe the religion that was taught to them their whole life. And these mind games begin to come into this person who has successfully served the Lord their entire life. And she goes, what if it's all wrong? And she just became overwhelmed with these thoughts that are just running through her mind, running rampant, running over and over and over and over. And she stopped, and it was like she heard, I don't know if, she, if it was like her being able to just go no, or if it was the voice of the Lord that came inside of her that said no, because you've experienced God. You've seen the miracles. You've seen me move. You've felt me, and you know that I'm real. And she said immediately, I mean immediately, all those thoughts just vanished. And it was, it was nothing. So here are a few ways. You, you, got, you got doubt coming in your life. Has anybody else been there? I mean, if it can matter for someone who's been serving the Lord their whole life to have these moments where they go, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just that you doubt yourself. Maybe you doubt that God even loves you. Maybe you go, I know that God loves me, and people tell me that God loves me all the time, but I don't know. I don't know if God actually loves me. Well, here's, here's a good thing. If you're doubting, talk to God about it. Talk to him about it. You don't think that he would want to speak to you in your doubt? He's a big God. He can handle your doubt. He's not mad at you. Did you see what Jesus did? Jesus didn't get mad at John the Baptist at all. He didn't say, you're my cousin. We grew up together. You've seen this and you said that. He didn't say all that. He didn't get mad at him. He showed him. He spoke to him through his disciples. Do you know what God, and he didn't shame him. Do you know what Jesus did right after that? That was beautiful. Is they let, he said, go tell John. And then he turned to the people who were hearing this. And he said, there's no greater man than John. There's no greater man than John. He didn't shame him. God's not going to shame you for doubting. He's not going to go, I can't believe you don't believe. I can't believe that you're struggling with that. He's not going to do that. He's going to begin to speak. Here's the thing. God is always speaking. That's why the scripture says, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. But sometimes maybe we don't hear it. Maybe we don't know if like we're making it up or. God's really speaking, or maybe we just struggle to hear his voice. Hey, if that's happening, another practical way, go to his written word. Read his written word about what he says about you and how he formed you in, in your mother's womb. And he given you the personality that you have because he likes your personality. You ever thought about that? He likes your personality. He likes who you are. Read the scriptures. Study the scriptures. Hey, I always say it every week. Study. Because sometimes scriptures are confusing. Hey, I had to go on a deep dive of the book of Job. Because I always hear pastors talking as if Job is this hero who never doubted. And got all these bad things happening. Never turned his back on God. But when I read it, I didn't feel that coming from him. There was a lot of complaining. 
a lot of up and down roller coastering, a lot of him yelling at his friends, you know, a lot of this back and forth. And I go, I'm not feeling that. So instead of being confused, I said, I got to study this. I need some help. Hey, man, there's so many study tools out there. Go to the word. Hey, what if, what if the word's too confusing? What if you don't understand it? Well, another practical way is to go to someone who's been there, done that. Not someone who's going to go, the Lord won't give you more than you can handle, okay? That person doesn't know scripture, okay? That's not scriptural, okay? Don't go to that person. Or don't go to that person and be like, it, or that person that's like, yeah, it's probably fake. It's not real. You know, don't go to those people. Go to someone who's lived through the doubt and come out victorious. Someone who's been in the trenches, who's had their ups and downs and still every day. But most importantly, those are practical ways. Those are practical. But most importantly, seek to experience God. Seek to feel his presence. Because when in doubt, he's there. He's there for you. And if we can sit in our doubt and we can go through our life just letting doubt and mind games crush us, or we can go to God and say, you know what? Dude, I need you. I need you to do something right now. It's not a test. It's not a test to say, God, I, I need something. I'm struggling here. Can you bring someone in my life? Can you do a miracle in front of me? Can you show me your glory? Can you show me your vast amazingness? Can you do that? The Bible says, come to him, ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you, right? What is it that you want from me? God, I need you in my life because I'm struggling right now. Will you guys do me a favor? Will you stand to your feet?